to the Give Them Jesus podcast. Hunter, I have got to say, I love the intro. Like, I like it too. It is. I like the way it turned out. It's pretty sweet. It's like, is that you? Oh, yeah. I made that. No. Really? I mean, I believe you. Sorry. You, you don't at believe me. me. You just you said at me no. just like my wife looks at me. Like when I ask her something and she tells me, I'm like, no way. Well, no, I made it. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Again, folks, my name is Luke Hockenjoss. Uh, with Give Him Jesus Ministries and my co-host and co-laborer in the ministry, uh, Hunter Brobst, is here. If you haven't already, go check out his podcast, Lit P, Life in the Pocket. Uh, you can find it on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere else. Uh, you can find this podcast on Spotify and Podbean, correct? Podbean and Podbean. hopefully... Podbean and hopefully um, Apple Podcasts in the future. Yeah, Hunter is the reason that this podcast is able to be a podcast because if you know me, you know that I have absolutely no technology ability. Uh, it is pretty sad. <laughs> Just wasn't raised learning anything about technology. Uh, so I know what a pipe wrench is. That's that's about it. So. We, were, we were talking before the uh lit p podcast yesterday and uh mccaslin was saying hey these people want me to record a radio spot for them um and they're gonna pay me some money to do it and so coleman was like why wouldn't they just do it themselves <laughs> i was like well coleman not everybody has recording software to just pull out their mic that yeah. they all have in their house and record a radio spot uh-uh. so, i wouldn't know how to do this yeah. like only thing I know how to do is open my mouth and talk. And uh, praise the Lord, you have all the other abilities. And uh, man, so if you would, how do they get us out on these places? Share it on Spotify. Yeah, if you see it on Facebook, go ahead and share the the post on Facebook, whether it's Podbean or um, Spotify. Hopefully, by the time you hear this episode, we can have it on. Um, Apple. So we're going to share all the individual places. And if you just see it, share it on Facebook. If you are already following us on um, Spotify, great job. Mm -hmm. Let us know or share it with somebody else. And then also, if you listen through Apple Podcast, leave a review with some comments. So they can leave comments on the Apple, not the Spotify. No, they can leave a five star review with no comment, or they can leave a five star review and say, I really love the sound of Luke's voice. So. <laughs> yeah, or they could, you know, if you want to leave a one star, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, the Bible says he that is first is last, he that is last is first. So You're just entitled be honest. to your own opinion. Yeah, you are entitled to be wrong. Isn't that what the mm. pastor said the other day? Yes. Um, so, all right. Well, today we are going to dive in with the topic of how to have that difficult conversation with your loved one. And uh, what I mean by that is a lot of times you start sensing things that your uh, your loved one, your son or your daughter or, or someone you know is um, on drugs. Maybe they are partying pretty hard and, and you have to have that conversation. Uh, there's a there's a lot of ways to have that conversation. My, I do not suggest calling Dr. Phil. Uh, I, I've watched some of his shows and, and man, the dude's just, 
The dude's just brutal. Uh, and, and so I would not suggest doing anything like that. My very first suggestion to you before you talk to your son, before you talk to your daughter is, we've already talked about it once, but prayer, man, prayer is so important in this, Hunter. It's, it's before you, before you walk into that, you, you want to pray about it. Uh, because one, sometimes parents are suspicious of things. And the only thing that's really going on is your uh, child is probably maybe not doing drugs. They're just starting to show their attitudes a little bit. And people consider them to be high or maybe drunk or, or something like that. And they really don't have anything going on. Uh, so you don't want to come to your child and say, hey, you're on drugs and then not be because uh, that could get sticky pretty quick. They could probably push them to... It pushes them to the edge. Yeah. You know, me, I am ADD, uh, ADHD, whatever you want to call it. And so sometimes if I have a spell in... It's, if you have a younger child that's ADD, ADHD, um, take hope in, in me. Uh, they can outgrow it just a little bit, but... It's. I have hyper spells every now and then, and and I have to tell people around me that, hey, I'm I'm really hyper right now. Uh, I'm gonna act different. I'm gonna sound different. Uh, just bear with me until this spell <laughs> goes. I'm I'm dead serious, man. Oh, it's funny, and I look like I'm I'm on something because mm-hmm. I just get hyper, and I'm all over the place. I don't make sense, uh, but it's just a way that my my brain works. And so you never want to come at somebody and. Um, so you never want to come at somebody and say and just basically call them out and say, "Hey, you're a drug addict," and then not be because, like you said, Hunter, you could push them over, over the edge. And so you want to pray about before you go towards them, uh, because it one, it when my family came at me, um, I'll never forget the day, the very first time that my dad uh, came to me and said, "You're on meth and you need help." Uh, I was it was 2014. I had moved out of a house and moved into a different house, and and the house that I moved out of, uh, I owed them money, and um, my dad actually ended up calling the man that had the house, and uh, I was in the room when my dad called him, and it was on speakerphone, and uh, I remember the guy telling my dad, your son's on meth. Uh, If he was my son, I'd whoop his butt, Uh, and I was hearing all these things, and and I was. I mean, I was strung out. I was high. I was selling. I was doing all these things, and and my dad got off the phone, and, and the very first thing he said was, Luke, we have a problem. You're on meth. You need help. Well, I heard in my brain, Luke, you're a piece of crap. Um, and if my mom's listening, I owe her a dollar because I just said the C word. But anyways, mm-hmm. in my head, I heard, Luke, you are a failure. Luke, you are uh, a disappointment to the family. Uh, you are your trash. Well, the words that my dad used after that, he said, you're my son who I love that I lay in bed worried about every night. And the devil is a deceiver, and he can take your words. And, and so I heard, like, you're just trash and you're failing our family is what I heard when my dad had this conversation with me. Mm-hmm. But see, a lot of families, once it gets to that point, all hell breaks loose. Uh, and it did in my family. I, I blew up. I said, I can't believe you're taking his side over mine. I'm your son, and you just said that you love me, but apparently you don't if you believe this man and you don't believe me when I tell you that I'm not. Uh, and it got it got violent, and it happens in a lot of families. 
Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3 says, He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. You have to tame your tongue <laughs> when you're dealing with your loved one that is a drug addict and that is an alcoholic or that you're going to and saying, hey, you have a problem, you need help. Don't come to them and say, hey, you have a problem, you need help, and then leave it there. Come to them with a plan. Already have ideas, already have, but you have to make those ideas seem like that the idea is the idea of the addict. Does that make sense? You're nodding your head. They can't like see you nodding your head. Manipulation. It's not manipulation. Not manipulation. But, but they have. The, there's a term for it. There's a term for it. Psychologists use it. I'm not a psychologist, but people call me all the time for counseling, and I and I'm not a licensed counselor. I just. <laughs> And I don't. Some, I sometimes don't give the best advice. This may not be the best advice. This is just advice that we've prayed about and that we've experienced in our in ourselves. But a drug addict's not going to want to get help until they see that they need help. They're not going to want to go to a rehab until they've absolutely hit rock bottom. There's a book that we have shared on our social media. Uh, it's called Stop Loving Your Kids to Death, a biblical perspective of looking at enabling by John Stroop. Wonderful book. I suggest that you pause this podcast and go order it right now. Uh, it is just phenomenal. In the very first chapter, it talks about you're not Jesus. And you're mm -hmm. not. Neither one of us are, Hunter. You're not. I'm not. Uh, and no parents are. But they try to be. They try to be by fixing it. You can't fix it. Only Christ can fix. They try to be Jesus in uh, in just trying to make everything better when you can't. Only thing that can is the love of Christ. And so when you sit down and you have this conversation with your loved one, uh, you've got to be prayed up and you have to have a plan. And that plan looks different for a lot of families. Uh, there's some people whose plan is you're going to move into here. You can move into our house and get sober. Uh, some people's plan is, hey, here's this rehab um, that we have looked into and that we have done research on. Never send a kid to a rehab without doing research. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of bad ones out there. There are. Well, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people that started out good with their rehabs. And then it's turned into a money-hungry game. Uh, you see it all the time. Because they realize that people will pay to help their loved ones, and then they realize that people will continue to pay to help their loved ones. Mm. And some rehabs you send people to are just absolutely crazy. Uh, they teach theology that does not go with the Bible, and anything outside of the Bible is wrong. Uh, it is false, and it's not something that you need to be following. Uh, there are some people that teach n not full sobriety, just, just part sobriety. I am one that teaches complete abstinence from, from the drug. I don't, there's a drug called Suboxone that a lot of people will get on to get off of a certain type of pill, but then they get hooked to the Suboxone. And so then you have a whole nother problem. I, I preach and I pray complete sobriety from it. Because I, I can't go just have a little bit. I'm going to go and have a lot. And, and that's what most, the mindset of most addicts. And, and some people actually teach that you can be in sobriety, but still dabble just a little bit. And to me, you're still holding on to it. And, and you need to research the rehab before you send your loved one to it. Because you don't want to send them into a lion's den. Well, okay, question on that. 
Praise the Lord. I now, was waiting on you. Well, so I know it's a little bit different in all different types, but what would you say to the point of if you are, let's just say you're an alcoholic, mm-hmm. would you ever push somebody, not push, I don't want to use that term, but would you ever say it's okay for that person to be strong enough, quote unquote, to do ministry in a bar if they got saved? Man, I had this conversation this morning with a guy, and to me, I could never see myself going into a bar to do ministry um, because I'll start smelling the cigarette smoke. Um, there'll probably be Paradise City playing on the jukebox. Uh, and I mean, because the devil's crafty, and, and he, you know, that's, I mean, it would have to be very clear from the Lord to go in this bar and to do ministry. Um, am I saying that it's impossible? No. Am I saying that it's smart? Uh, for instance, there was a guy that was a pastor, went down to Bourbon Street to do ministry on Bourbon Street, and uh, he had a history of a few things. And, and while he was down there, he ended up having an affair on his wife and ended up going back into some old ways. And uh, it's just the what you surround yourself with has effect on you. Mm-hmm. So if you are an alcoholic and you've given your life to Christ and you are a new creation, you've been born again, the old way of life is dead, behold, all things become new. And if that's happened to you, you better make dang sure that it's the Lord leading you into the bar and it's not the devil posing as the Lord leading you into the bar. Mm. Because the devil, I mean, he is over this world. Like he is here, God's placed him here to, I mean, this is where the devil is, He and he is beautiful. The devil's not some red dude with horns and a pitchfork. So if you, okay, here's another situation. If you're a, um, whatever, what drug of your choice, mm-hmm. and you are, let's say, let's just leave the spiritual aspect out of it. You, for whatever time being, you've been sober this long. Mm-hmm. Or no, let's keep spiritual. In. Let's say you want to reach out to that person. So probably for you to go to that meth house or whatever is probably not the best idea rather than just saying, like, calling or texting that person. Yeah. If so I'm, don't surround yourself. Don't surround yourself with that. And that's the reason that Jesus sent the disciples out in groups of two, you know. And so what happens to so many people in sobriety is this could be a wonderful episode. We'll just keep going with this. But what happens to a lot of people in sobriety is they get saved, radically changed. But then they want to go back. You know, if you read in Galatians, Paul spent about three years before he really took off in his ministry. He was getting discipled. He was getting poured into. And Paul always had people with him. I mean, he was there. Jesus had the 12 disciples with him. The 72 disciples were sent out in groups of two. I mean, so it's important to have people with you. And it's also very important to not go back into a situation until God's truly called you. God's truly led you. Because if you go back and he's not leading you to it, he's not gonna be in it. And it's not gonna it's not gonna go well. I have been around people smoking meth since I gave my life to Christ. And I didn't stay in that situation very long. because uh, I was a new Christ, new creation. I was a, a new Christian and and uh, remember one person was she was smoking and, and that stuff puts you in a whole new realm of places and she started asking me stuff like why the Bible doesn't talk about dinosaurs and, and all of these things that I didn't have the answers to back then. And I was like, 
I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You know, like starting to get antsy and I was like, I got to go. And so I left and that's why I lived in my truck for so long. Uh, Cause mm. I didn't want to surround myself in situations that would cause me to, to go back. So I would suggest that do not go back into those situations. Well, look, look at Moses in Exodus. Moses left Egypt, was gone from Egypt for 40 years mm. until the Lord sent him back to go to Pharaoh. You know, yeah. so, well, the reason I was asking is I feel like some people have this myth that, um, you know, especially if you're a family member, that if you can have somebody in that environment and they can still resist, then they're truly, you know what I mean? Like You can't resist for long. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know anybody that stays sober that surrounds themselves with people using or going into bars and because and, all it takes— I ran into a guy the other day, and uh, I knew he was in sobriety. I'd met him before. We were talking. I said, man, how long do you have? And he said, eh. Usually when people say that, it means something's happened. And he was hanging out in the wrong places and walked outside of one of these places, and on the ground in front of him was a little bag of meth. And he mm. picked it up, put it in his pocket. Nobody saw him. Nobody knew. He went on a binge. And... A lot of people say, well, how did that bag get there? Man, the devil's crafty. Yeah, He's here to kill, steal, and destroy, prowling around like a roaring lion, looking whom he may devour. And he will put things in front of you. And But if any man thinks he's standing tall, be careful that he doesn't fall. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The temptation that you're about to face is not a temptation that has, ever, that has never come against a man. So any temptation that I face is not a new temptation. I'm not the first person to go through it. I won't be the last person to go through it. But if you keep reading in that verse, it says that God is faithful. And a lot of times we miss that in sobriety. Even though I'm faced with the temptation to use, the temptation to drink, God's faithful. And he will always give you a way out. You know? It's good. It's, yeah. I mean, it's it's good. It's That's why this podcast is really just a bunch of talking. Cause, but parents, when you have this conversation with your kid, back to that real quick. Great question, by the way, Hunter. And if you have any other questions, just pop them off. I will. Thank you so much. We did ADD moment. One person <laughs> did tell me that the podcast was too short. So I think we go two hours on this one. Yeah. He probably I mean, won't say that again. Yeah. If right. you're listening... Just messing with you. <laughs> he probably won't listen oh, again. I've, I kind of, I was telling Luke before, since we're going on this road, I just, the 30 minute is just like a, it's like a jewel, mm-hmm. you know? It's like a solid piece of information, 30 minutes. Yeah. And then, uh, I like it. But I, like I mean, it. I'm not saying that we should keep, but we'll just, I mean, we'll just go as, as the as, Lord leads. Yeah. We'll just, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Mm. Yeah. Freedom to go past 30 minutes. Freedom to go past 30 minutes. That's exactly right. And it's a learning curve and a learning process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The biggest thing, issue, kind of run off that topic you brought up. Great topic, by the way. I guess I should ask you what to do the podcast on. No, just just If you're listening and your loved one is in recovery, they've been sober for, let's just say, six months, your loved one is still very fragile. Because uh, my brain, my brain didn't really get clear until about a year, really until I met my wife. I, I met Olivia when I was probably a year and three months sober, uh, and my brain was still just fried almost because I put a lot of, I mean, meth is not exactly one of the best things for your brain. 
and I thought it was at one point. But anyways, that's a whole other story for a whole other day. Don't expect your loved one to be 100% back to normal within the first six months to the year because it, it doesn't even matter how long they used. If they used for a year, six months to a year. If they used for... 20 years, six months to a year and a half to two years. You know, I mean, it's the time frame's not much difference. There's just a little bit, but the brain is having to be reworked. And that's the beautiful thing about the brain and the way that God designed it. You know, that old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, they have disproved that. You can teach an old dog new tricks, but you can't expect them to be back to complete normalness. Is normalness a word? My wife will let me know if it's not. Uh, it's good enough for me. Reality. You can't expect them to be back to their normal selves. Yeah, there you go. Within that short amount of time. Because they have to relearn everything. I had to learn how to handle feelings. Like I had to learn how to handle emotions. Uh, when I would get angry, I had to know, okay, don't put your fist through a wall or you don't punch your truck. Don't Don't go look for somebody to hurt. When I got sad... Don't go look for comfort somewhere else than Christ. And I mean, I struggled in that. And you, the addict, the one that is sober, they're having to relearn how to deal with all these things. And so they need you to love them unconditionally in this. Uh, if they're able to not work, I would suggest not having a job in early sobriety because the job adds stress. Stress will add desire. Desire will lead to relapse. And and so I always suggest maybe just letting them get their feet back under them before they take off in that. Well, and one thing you were telling me, too, is don't leave them alone. No. No. Surround them. Love on them. Call them. Surround. But you know what I mean. No, I know what you mean. Like, no, surround them. Like, if you have to, get some people, lock arms around them and pray over them. I mean— you you do not want to leave someone like that alone. I was I lived in my truck, but I was never alone. Like I, there were people that were always calling. There were people that were always texting. Um, and then when I moved into an apartment for about a month, uh, for the first time in sobriety, I felt alone because I was in a big apartment, not big, but bigger than my truck, and I had a uh, pillow top mattress, a air mattress, and two pillows and a blanket, mm. and I was curled up in the corner like crying. I said, God, I'm fixing to go back. I can't do this. And I got a text message from somebody inviting me to AA. I was like, I'm on the way. And uh, got there, found out they had two meetings a day. So I would go to church. I would go to AA. I would surround myself with people that were like-minded, that were fighting for sobriety. And God really used that to to impact and to work in my life. One one other thing. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to say on the topic, but... Um, I'm sorry if I'm monopolizing all your time. No, I love it. So one key thing I'm seeing is all these moments where you're saying like you're just like on the edge Mm -hmm. and you're about to go back. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, I'm a little biased here, but I feel like the thing that always brought you back from falling off the edge was God. Mm -hmm. Whereas it's, I mean, I... I don't know because I haven't been down the path, but I would be willing to bet it's a lot harder journey to get, to to become sober when you don't have God in the mix. Yeah, it's so. a it's a dry sobriety. You know, you're still angry and you're still bitter and there's still rage. You're sober, but you're not 
happy. You're not joyful. And the only thing that can really bring that is is Christ. And you know, I quoted this verse earlier, but I turned to it so that we could so that I could read it. First Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The only way that I'm able to bear the temptations, and I still face them today. I can't use um, pre-workout. Like I can't buy, I have to buy already pre-mixed pre-workout if I drink it because when I opened the top on some, some powder popped out. And my first thought was, man, I wonder what that would feel like up my nose. Like that may sound crazy to some people, but mm-hmm. that was my first thought. And so I put it down, nasal nose spray. When I, in early sobriety, I got sick. The doctor prescribed me nasal nose spray. And I didn't think nothing of it. Got to where I was staying, looked at it. And I was like, man, it's about to have to go up my nose. I called my sponsor from AA because he was one of the only ones that I had to talk to at that particular time of the day. I said, hey, man, uh, you're not going to believe this, but nasal nose spray is fixing to make me relapse. I need to talk to somebody. He's like, no, I get it. I get it. Well, you know, God was always the centerpiece in those temptations to help keep me together. Yeah, The Bible says apart from him, you can do nothing, but with him, you can do all things. I like this too, because I feel like it's a more accurate view of when a lot of people say, God will never give you more than you can handle. Yeah, yeah, yes, he does. You know, like, if God didn't give me more than I could handle, then I would have no need for God. But I rely on him for my very breath, you know, which is no different for somebody that's never been in the situation that I was in. I mean, everything that we are is because of God. Yeah. Everything that we have is because of God. I have not done anything to gain the stuff that I have. Like, I shouldn't have the wife that I have. I shouldn't have the home that we have. I shouldn't have the vehicles that we have. But, but we do, and we shouldn't have the health that we have, but we, we do because of God. And God has placed things on us that we couldn't handle, but he will never place anything on us that he can't handle. Yeah. That's that's always you know I can get where people say I, I get where they're coming from mm-hmm. but in a sense of I'm always with the realness that is humanity because mm-hmm. you know you have some people that um I don't know it's not wrong to say it but they they acknowledge how great God is and and which is great but for me I still feel like you need to tie that into with with who I am now. Or mm-hmm. so in this in this moment you're saying, I'm completely overwhelmed. How could this be happening to me? And somebody says, Well, God will never give you too much that you can't I'm saying it wrong, but you know, he'll never give you so much that you can't handle. And I'm like, Well, I can't handle it right now. Whereas if somebody came in and said, Oh, he'll give you mm-hmm. a lot that you can't handle. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. In that moment, you think you can't handle it, so you lean on God because mm. God can handle it. Yeah, and so it's His that grace is sufficient. Yeah, it's that mixture of in this moment. Okay, if I if you asked me after and said, "Hunter, could you handle that?" I probably would have been like, well, "Was it handled?" Yeah, it was handled. So you could handle it. Well, sure, but in that moment, if you would have asked me, "Hunter, can you handle this?" Mm-hmm. No, I can't handle it. So I, I get it. I get yeah. what's what's being said, but 
So many times people talk about the greatness of God, which is awesome, but they leave out how it coincides with the weakness of man. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of my life goals is to figure out how to correctly yeah. marry the two and tell people about them. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, because I get it. I get it when you're at your lowest, the best thing that you need to hear is that God is for you. God has control of everything. Mm-hmm. That's that's true, but I feel like you can't just leave it there. Mm-hmm. You got to say, yes, this is true, and this is how it applies to your situation right now. Mm-hmm. So, And you hear that a lot in the recovery world. You know, God will never put more on you than you can handle. You do hear that. And in early sobriety, that sounds really good, you know, because you're ready to take on the world. Well, then the temptations come and the trials come and reality sets in. You're faced with your first big crisis and you're sitting there saying, all right, God, you said you won't put more on me than I can handle. And uh, I'm obviously not strong enough to do this by... And that's why you see a lot of people relapse. And they're like, God, I just can't handle it. Well, then they try it again. And somebody says, God will never put more on you than you can handle. Oh, okay. And and they get to that point to where they've they've messed up. And bam, same thing happens. So you have to figure out a way. Because you don't want to come in and say, God will put more on you than you can handle. And then walk out the door. (laughs) Yeah. You know, because it's like, well, why in the world would I want to do this? Like, if I'm not going to be able to do anything. I don't I don't want to do this. Yeah. You have to show it to him in a graceful way, in a way of mercy, in a way of kindness and love and uh so that's pretty I mean we're at twenty nine minutes. Twenty nine minutes. Well look, this has been I think you should title this podcast Hippie Hippie Hodgepodge. I mean we started off with a great question. Yeah. How to because that's a how to have a hard conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah, I guess we did kind of get off topic. Just a little bit. But I think you should just put hodgepodge for a title. Okay. Uh, hey, and if you have questions and you're listening to this and you would like to send in questions, you can email me at give, G-I-V-E-M, <laughs> E-M, Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, G-I-V-E-E-M-J-E-S-U-S at Gmail. Dot com. Send your questions in, send your complaints, uh, send your whatever you have to say, and uh, cool. Yeah, we'll, well, peace out. See ya. Thanks for listening to another great episode of the Giving Jesus podcast. My friend Luke is going to end us out as usual with an awesome word of prayer. All right, well, let's pray real quick. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for uh, this podcast, Lord, for all the folks that are listening. Lord, uh, we know that this wouldn't be possible without um, without you, Lord. And so we just praise you for Jesus. And God, I pray that if anyone's listening to this that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, that you will speak to their heart and draw them to you. God, that you will save them and change them and mold them and use them and to the man or woman or God that you've called them to be. And Lord, I pray for the families that are getting ready to have these hard conversations. Uh, Lord, that they will seek guidance, that they will look for help, that they will pray, have a plan, that they won't just do things spontaneously. Lord, that they will truly be suited up in the full armor. Lord, thank you so much for uh, who you are. Thank you for this day. 
We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. See ya.